Yeah. Uh, hey, before we get rolling with the message, one other announcement that I want to put out there. Uh, this year, Christmas Day, December 25th, is a Sunday. And uh, whenever that happens, we have great angst around here on our staff. What are we going to do? Do we have a service that Sunday? Do we not have a service? We'll have just done four services in the days leading up. And so what we've decided to do this year is something kind of different. Uh, we've put this up here. We just want, for those of you who are willing to come out uh, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, December 25th, we just want to have some of our pastors here to pray a very simple blessing over you. And uh, if you decide you want to come on Christmas Day, and I know many of you will not decide that. Most of you will not decide that. But uh, myself, uh, Andrea, Jody, at least the three of us, maybe some of our other pastors will be here that morning. We may be in our pajamas. You never know. And uh, we are going to welcome you in, and we're going to just do a very short, interactive devotional. Uh, it actually happens at your own speed, so you can come at 10, you can come at 10.15, you can come at 10.20. We're going to walk you through 10 to 15 minutes of these things, and then we are going to just pray a private, personal blessing on you or your family uh, on Christmas morning. That's it. 10 to 15 minutes, and we will be here, and then you can hit the road and get back to opening presents, I guess, if that's what you were going to be doing that morning. Having cinnamon rolls, whatever it is you do on Christmas morning in your family, uh, we will be saving our Cinnabon for after that is over in ours. So, all right. Uh, hope you come. Again, it might just be the three of us here that day. Uh, it might be a thousand people. We have no idea. So we, we, we hope you might think about it. All right. Andrea and I are in the middle of trying to figure out uh, and switch cell phone companies right now. Uh, reason being, uh, when we're at our house, we have the hardest time keeping a strong cell signal. Uh, we've lived in the same house for almost 13 years now. It's a normal neighborhood here in Livermore. Plenty of people around us. We're not out in the boonies. But for 13 years, we've not been able to get good cell service. Uh, and if you've gone through this or really any other kind of tech problem, you know that what that involves ultimately is endless phone calls to a, a tech company or online chats with a, a technical support agent. And inevitably, what they do when you are on with tech support is they ask the most infuriating question, the most condescending question, have you tried restarting your phone? Do you find this question as frustrating as I do when you call tech support about something? It's like when you call your cable company about why your cable's not working, and they ask you if you've checked to see if your television is plugged in. You had that? Or when you go to the mechanic and there's something wrong with your car and, and they ask if you have filled it up with gas recently. I, I hate it when they ask me this question. And of course I thought to turn my phone off and turn it back on in the 45 minutes that I was waiting for you to pick up your end. What do you think I'm doing over here at my house? But I have learned why they ask this question. Are you ready for this? Because they know statistically over half of tech-related problems that those agents deal with, over half can be fixed with a simple restart. Now, I, I won't go into a deep explanation of why that is. It has to do with processes that are running in the background that you don't know are running and ending those so that your, your phone or whatever you're using starts over with a clean slate. But isn't it interesting? The majority of time, all it takes is a restart. Um, one study showed that the average person spends 22 to 25 minutes per day trying to fix a computer-related issue. 22 minutes a day. It's almost 2% of every day you spend just trying to get your tech to work correctly. They estimated the cost to some large companies in the United States, what it's costing them for their employees to be problem-solving their own cell phones and computers somewhere in the ballpark of $4,000 a minute. 
Like your employer would love it if early in the troubleshooting process, you just restarted your things. Restarts often work. And that has caused me to wonder, what if we did this with other things in our lives? Um, I read an article this year about a factory that, that was started by these two people up in Oregon. Uh, it used to be that when mass-produced clothing would get produced with defects, uh, those pieces of clothing would be sent to the landfill or they would be sent overseas. But these two people in Oregon decided to build a factory that was all about repairing irregular or defective clothing. Uh, and they call this company the Renewal Workshop. And clothing companies send them defective pieces and they restore them to like new condition and then they're resold on what re-commerce websites uh, or what are called re-commerce websites that are affiliated with the original brand. Uh, if you think about it, it's actually surprising that a clothing company would let somebody else fix their things, but they have built such a good reputation, the renewal workshop, that, that, that brands uh, find that they're going to end up with a very quality product, and they, and they say, we are happy to announce this product got a restart. We all love a restart. I actually think it's one of the things that I love about the land that we're sitting on here at, at Crosswinds right now. Um, over 100 years old, this land, it was an old dairy farm when we got it. It had been left to years of neglect. Uh, old barns were falling in, uh, old houses that were in really bad shape. And, and we come in and got to give this place a restart. Turn it into something else. Say to this place, your better days are still ahead of you. Um, one of the stories I love about the Friesman brothers who own the dairy where the Crosswinds uh, campus sits now, they were incredibly frugal, as you would imagine most farmers are, and they heard that construction was about to be complete on the Hetch Hetchy Dam up near Yosemite. This would have been 1923. It took four years to build that dam around 1923, and the Friesman brothers knew that the workers who lived up near the dam, they had to sleep somewhere every night while they were working. And of course, what happened, the construction company for the dam had built temporary housing where the workers could sleep. Anyway, when the dam was complete, the Friesmans thought, what are they gonna do with all of the wood from that housing? And they went up and they took apart those houses board by board and they brought them back here to their dairy farm and used them to build a barn out here. Those pieces of wood got a restart. Um, 90 years later, when we moved onto this property, that was one of the barns that was falling in. It was not safe to be in, but it was so cool. Um, anyway, we knew that one of the things we were going to build out here was this building that you are in right now. And honestly, this is just a prefab metal building, like a warehouse. This is about as cheap a building as you can build. But Dave Nielsen, the project manager at the time, thought, what if we take that old barn that's falling in and we take the wood from it and we use it to put a skin on this building to give it some character? And so volunteers and staff on this church project took that wood down piece by piece and used that wood to skin this building and it is the trim for everything that you see around here. You right now are surrounded by wood from the housing at the Hetch Hetchy Dam from over 100 years ago. Um, I, know that, I know that aged looking wood is all the rage right now. Ours is the real deal. <laughs> um, I have eight years of splinters to prove it in my body. It's just to say that this wood got a restart twice. Uh, our creative arts team found a video this week from a, a television show in England where people bring in their old things that need a restart and then they repair them. 
Um, I want you to watch this. Hello, fair lady. Hi, hello. 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 So who have you bought for us? Henry. 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 So tell us about Henry. He means like so much to me. I was probably about three when I got him. So at nursery, I got to take him home for the weekend. He went on a few adventures, didn't he, Bill? Where did he go? Went to the post office. Post office, very mm. exciting. And then I think we uh, took him horse riding as well. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. But what happened when we had to give him back? Oh, the weekend, I didn't want to give him back, and I had him ever since. <laughs> but he's been very well loved, hasn't he, as you okay. can see? OK, OK. Yeah, a little bit worse for wear. And he's been like my little, like, home doctor. Yeah, yeah. So Billy got diagnosed when he was one with something called um, Kabuki syndrome. Right. Um, which is a genetic um, condition. There are some learning difficulties. He had lots of infections. He has a lot of appointments, and it's quite hard. And Henry's been with him for lots of things, just brings him a lot of comfort, doesn't he? Tell him for like such a long time and he's just become like my best friend. It must be difficult for you. I think when I he was <laughs> Take your time, it's fine. You can't get through things like this without a lot of support from yeah. people. And we've got a fantastic um place that he goes to called SNAP, um, which is a special needs and parents um, charity. It allows Bill to um, be Bill uh, in, in their environment. They have uh, various group activities. So he's a member of their choir and he's a member of uh, their drama group, aren't you? Yeah. It's another way of being able to express himself. They've been great. They've been great. They're such lovely people as well. Wow. Bill, are you going to be okay while he stays with us? Yeah, I will be. I really know that he's in really safe pools. <laughs> You're my kind of guy. He <laughs> speaks my language. It's been a delight meeting you. Thank you. And we will do our best, won't we, Amanda? Absolutely. Yeah, of course we will. Yeah. Of course we will. We'll do everything we can for him. Here you go. Thank you very much. Thanks very All much. All right, you take care. care. We'll see you bye soon. Bye. Bye. We've got an important job on our hands. So I would suggest just taking out all his stuffing. We can then determine what areas might need lining, strengthening. Yep. And then we've just got to put back in all this detail that's missing. His eyes, his little nose. And I've got to make him a new T-shirt? I think so. A little red T-shirt. Do you want me to wash the trousers as well? Yes, I think so. Now the best of friends are ready to be reunited. Hello, Hello. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. <laughs> Hello, Bill. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very good. All the better for seeing you, though, sir. Yeah. Hey? So how are you both feeling about seeing Henry again? Oh, really, really excited. How excited are you, sir? Are you really, that excited really. or that, exci that, that excited? That excited? Seriously? Oh, yeah. Why? Why are you so excited? Because he's my best friend and he has been since I was, like, three or four. I can't wait. I can't wait to oh, see no. what... Done, I really can't. I think I'm a bit more overwhelmed than he is in some ways. So, uh, yeah, very excited. So you're ready to see him now? Yeah. Yeah? I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Julie. Hello. <gasps> <laughs> 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 
goodness. Look, look at this one. Oh, I think that's me like the old one. It's exactly like this old one. Yeah. Oh, Bill. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Much happier now, oh, doesn't he? So much healthier. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Oh my goodness. I think we like stories of restarts, and and can I tell you? I think the reason we have a soft spot for these things because all of these stories we see become metaphors of what we hope that God can do in us. Somewhere in us, there is this hope that we might get a restart on some things in our own lives. A reboot, a redo, maybe a massive restart. Maybe it's just a restart in one little area. Most of us have some hope inside that maybe we could try something again. I know that right now we're in a series on getting messy. And what that means is coming alongside other people in their mess. But it, but it hit me last week, it's hitting me again this week, that, that for every one of you going, you know, I need help figuring out how to get messy with my family member or my, my friend. For every one of you, there is another one of you or two of you here right now saying, I just need help with my mess right now. And today, you might be a person who feels like you have failed somewhere in something of real substance, a marriage a relationship, a, a, a job, as a parent. I don't, I don't need to give a long list. All I have to do is mention our sense of failure and, and you know what things come to your mind. And what I want you to know, the kind of mess we're gonna look at today in the Bible, the kind where someone has failed is one where Jesus gets messy with them by giving them a chance to start over, to try again. And we're going to look at the way that Jesus restores failure, which is a very present kind of mess in most of our lives. We've all got some failure. And, and, and I hope that if you need a restart, this story we look at speaks to you. Maybe you'll see yourself in this story, and then you'll see where your story could go. But let me also today say, today is not just about your mess and your failure, because there is someone in your life dealing with their own failure on a significant level, and they desperately need a restart. And you might be the one to get messy with them so that you can introduce them to the restart that is available in Jesus. Let me ask you this question, or get you thinking about it. What do you do when you have a person in your life who feels like they are too far gone. There is someone in your life right now who needs a chance to be restored. To God, maybe to you as well. The story that we're going to look at uh, this morning is about a guy named Peter. And actually, uh, his name is Simon first. And that matters because there is this moment in his life. He's been following Jesus. He's one of the 12 disciples. There's this moment that Jesus notices something in this guy, Simon, that Simon or Peter is a great leader. He's a born leader. He is wired to lead. And they're having a conversation one day. And Jesus says to him, take a look at this. Simon, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
In that moment, Jesus changes his name to Peter. Peter means rock. And Jesus says, I tell you, you are a rock, meaning like you are rock solid and on you, I will build my church. In other words, Peter, you're gonna lead this thing someday. Now that was a good day in Peter's life. But let's fast forward to one that was not so good, the Last Supper. Jesus sitting with those same disciples, and this is leading up to the day that he's arrested, he's crucified, and the Bible says this, take a look. It says, then Jesus told them, told all of them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. All right, that is really important. I want you to remember that sheep imagery, okay? Actually, just to make sure it's sinking in, will you turn and say to somebody, we are the sheep. Just look them in the eye and say, we're the sheep, real quick. We're the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, I'm the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock, we're the sheep, are about to be scattered. But he keeps going, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. All right, well, Peter's there. And Peter replied, even if all the other sheep fall away on account of you, I never will, because I'm the rock, man. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Okay, first snapshot we looked at, Peter, you're the rock, you're gonna lead my church. Second snapshot, Peter, you are gonna fail me. You're gonna disown me. And Peter says, I would never. All right, let me fast forward again. Later that night, Jesus has been arrested. This is another story for another time. And Peter is standing near a fire in the courtyard nearby, wondering what is happening at Jesus' trial just down the way. Uh, Real quick, last time I told this specific part of the story was this past Good Friday out in the Grove at our Good Friday service. Um, And for some reason, we thought it would be a good idea to light a fire in the middle of our congregation so that if you were there that night, you could viscerally feel what it would have felt like to be Peter standing around a fire, except that night, Good Friday, the fire started to actually catch other things on fire, which gave you a whole different type of visceral experience. Um, It is all good, we put the fire out. We were prepared just in case that happened. Uh, Once again, if you were here, my apologies, and I promise not to risk your life with my preaching again. Uh, but the gospel according to Matthew tells us that Peter is standing around this fire and people start noticing him. And three times people ask him, aren't you one of the ones that's friends with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you the one they call the rock? Aren't you that guy's like main dude? And three times Peter says, I don't know the man. Verse 74 gets detailed about this. Then Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he had failed. He failed his job. He failed as the leader. Like, it's been one night and he's already messed it up. He failed his friend. He failed God. Uh, Jen Wilkins is an author. She writes this. Take a look at it. She says, when my parents entered their latter years, they took up a new hobby, keeping chickens. 
at the height of their enthusiasm, they tended 21 chickens in a hen house, 20 chickens and one noisy rooster. Roosters crow and they crow. They crow every morning. They crow all morning. They crow to announce another day. They continue crowing as long as it is called two day. Um, how many of you have neighbors with roosters or chickens that, that don't mind le like letting them wake the neighborhood up? If that's you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying I'm your neighbor. Um, okay, she goes on. Roosters make a notable appearance in the Bible. All four Gospels record Peter's famous three-time betrayal of Jesus punctuated by the crowing of a rooster, just as Jesus had prophesied. All four Gospels talk about that. All three synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say Peter wept bitterly at the sound. And then she writes this, our senses are powerful memory holders. Smells, and tastes, and sounds too attach themselves to memories. And she says, I imagine what kind of memory the rooster's crow evoked for Peter. Every dawn after that first terrible morning of betrayal, of denial, the proclamation of his bitter guilt would have rung afresh in his ears. Carried in the crowing would have been the memory of his colossal failure. Whatever his relationship had been with Jesus, whatever his calling, it appears to be finished. Wouldn't you think that every time, like every time Peter heard a rooster crow after that, it reminded him of his failure? I say that because my guess is many of you have like roosters of some sort or another, something that you hear that reminds you, something that you see, a person you run into that reminds you of your failure when you see them, a restaurant you won't go into anymore, a road you drive down that reminds you of your failure. You have got a rooster that has been crowing. Some of you, it's been crowing for years. Um, if you don't, I'm sure you've got some friends, people you love with that kind of mess, all right? Have you tried a restart? Well, here is where Peter's story becomes that. Um, one night after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, Peter is out fishing. Oh, oh, this is important. I should have told you. Peter used to be a fisherman. Uh, he's not done that for a little while, three years. He's been following Jesus all over the place. But what he knows is fishing. And what he knows is it is time for life to go back to what it used to be. Yes, Jesus has risen. And that is as good of news as anybody could ever hope for. And it's world changing. It is, it is everything. And at the same time, Peter is still the one who failed Jesus three times who denied him in his moment of need, who turned his back on his friend, who failed even when he was sure that he would not. And Peter, who probably thinks of himself as Simon right around now, goes back to fishing, back to his old life. The Bible tells us that Peter and some of the disciples that were with him could not catch a thing that night. And after a long night at sea, the next morning, a person standing on the shore shouted to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish when you do that. And Peter and his friends did this and they caught so many fish they could not pull them all into the boat. And it was then that they realized this person on the shore was Jesus. And they went to the shore with their fish and they made breakfast together. 
Okay, John 21, 14 tells us this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think that's an interesting detail that the Bible points out because I would imagine that the first time if I was Peter, I would have been yelling, Jesus is alive, this is crazy, you guys. And I would think the second time if I were Peter, I would have been like, Jesus is here. This is proof that this was not just a weird group hallucination like some hypnotic thing that made us all think that Jesus is alive. It is real. But by the third time, by the third, I think there'd still be great excitement. Maybe though it is calmed down enough for Peter to think, oh yeah, what about us? Jesus is not just alive. Like he knows what I did. He knows how I failed. And he knows that I am never gonna be the rock that he thought that I would be. And now it is time for Jesus and Peter's come to Jesus talk. Although we use that term today like it's going to be a bad thing, like it's about to get dark and angry and vengeful. Maybe today we can redefine that phrase, come to Jesus. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Real quick, before we read the rest of this verse, what do you think that that means, more than these? What is the these that Jesus is referring to? That might be an entire sermon itself, all the these that it could be. My guess is these is a reference to Simon's old life, Peter's old life. Do you love me more than you love your fishing? This thing that you have gone back to? Do you love me more than this thing that gives you security? The thing that gives you identity? Do you love me more than your default? Because I see the things that you are doing right now is if this is what your life is going to be all about from here on out. Um, one reason I think that might be the these is because Jesus calls him Simon, right? He uses this guy's old name because he's the old Simon right now. He's doing all the Simon things. Do you love me more than these things? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Remind me, did we talk about sheep today? Here come the sheep again. Hold on, put the sheep out to pasture for a minute. Let's talk about the first two lines up there. Do you love me? You know that I love you. That seems pretty straightforward. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But there's something going on beneath the surface of these words that you're gonna want to understand. Um, there are multiple words in Greek for the word love. In modern English, we just say, I love you, but they had multiple words they could use for love. The two in this passage are agapas, which comes from the word agape, and phileo. Now, phileo usually means brotherly love. It is the kind of love that a friend has for another friend. It's, it's actually, it's why we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Phileo is where we get that name. If you have some good friends in your life, you love them with a phileo kind of love. Uh, it's not to say you can't love your family that way too. You probably love them with phileo love too. That works as well. Agape though, a different kind of love. Now, this is kind of messy because uh, often in the church, when we try to define agape, we define it by where we see it. And because we often see agape in the Bible being used as the love that God has for you, for me, for us, agape tends to be explained as uh, it's unconditional love because that's what God has for you. Or it's sacrificial love, that's what God has for you. Or it's divine love. And all of those are true. That is how God loves you. But what is behind all of those things that describe agape love is this. It is a demand for action. I love you in such a way that I'm gonna prove it, live it, act on it. This is agape. 
Prove it. You say prove it with me. Prove it. I am loyal to you. I am committed to you. My actions will show it. All right. In this verse, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me more than these? Do you love me in such a way that you would back it up with your action more than fishing, more than this old life of yours? Because I remember the day, Simon, that you left all of that to follow me three years ago when I said, come with me, we're going to fish for something better than fish, we're going to fish for people. Do you love me in a way that you would back it up with action the way that I did on the cross for you? And Peter uses the word phileo back. Jesus, you know that I love you like a friend, like a brother. Huh? What's going on here? That's kind of a weird response, right? This, this feels a little like the time I told my girlfriend I loved her, only for her to say back, um, I like you too. <laughs> uh, pretending she didn't hear me say love, right? What is going on in this passage? All right, could it be, could it be that Peter feels so much shame for having failed that he doesn't think that Jesus would believe him even if he did say agape. Peter does not feel qualified to agape Jesus. Who am I to commit to you? I mean, think about it. Last time they had a heart-to-heart like this, Peter was saying, I'm not gonna deny you, and Jesus was saying, yes, you are. He has failed. There's no way that he can look Jesus in the eye and say, I will love you with a commitment. I will prove it. I will act out my love because he broke the commitment already. At best, at best, he can hope that they will be friends, have breakfast together. Do you, do you love me, Simon? Of course. Thank you, Jesus. Let's be friends. And it's then that Jesus says what? Prove it. Feed my lambs. Okay, let's bring the sheep back in from the pasture. Um, A little while ago, we read that at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, this very night, all of you are gonna fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. His followers are the sheep. We know Jesus refers to himself as the shepherd, the disciples, all of his followers, including you, you are the sheep. And he has now been struck, and the sheep have scattered, and he's now looking Peter in the eye. And he says, feed my lambs. What does this mean? All right, well, there's no time to think about it because right away, verse 16, Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All right, once again, Jesus uses the word agapas. Once again, Peter answers with phileo. They have the exact same exchange as before, but this time, this time, Jesus does not just close it out with feed my lambs. Jesus says what? Will you read this with me? Shepherd my sheep. See, what Jesus is doing here is he is saying, Peter, you are still supposed to be the new shepherd. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You are the shepherd for all of these sheep. You might think because you failed that I no longer can use you, work with you, no longer would even trust a commitment from you. You may think the best we can do is be friends or be friendly, but Peter, I am calling you to something deeper again. Agape, prove it. Would you love me in such a way that you act on it, that you give your life to it? Because even right now, I'm willing to entrust you with my sheep. 
Okay, the next verse, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now let's stop right there. This time, Jesus uses phileo. Okay, you want to be my friend? Then do you love me like a friend? Do you love me like a brother? And it actually says, we don't have this on the screen, but it says in the text, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And I love this. Jesus said, then prove it. Act on it. Feed my sheep. In other words, even if you are afraid that you're gonna let me down again, and so you just wanna promise that you will be my friend, guess what? As my friend, I'm gonna ask you, feed my sheep anyway. Prove your love. Even if all we have is friendship, what friends do is they act on on their love for each other. So do this anyway. Prove it. Act on it. Serve me this way. Agape me. I trust you. Can I tell you, I like to think a rooster crowed again in that moment. It's not in the Bible. Wouldn't that be so cool? Three times he denies Jesus. Three times Jesus presses the reset button, the reboot, the restart. That somewhere out in the surrounding countryside, a rooster crowed. And actually, I like to think it happened every morning after that. I like to think Peter had a new memory attached to that sound the sound of a restart, the sound of grace. It's the sound of restoration now. The, the, the rooster crowing is the sound of a new morning and a new beginning. Like every morning could be a reminder of God's new mercy in giving out his restart. Have you tried one? I need to tell you today, some of you here who've been living as if you are a failure, as if it is over for you, or or, or you've maybe not been letting go of failures in different areas of your life, Jesus invites you to a restart. He is the God of restarts. He restores, he reuses. If he would do it with one of his closest friends who would deny him on the night of his arrest and eventual crucifixion, if he would once again hand that man leadership of his life's mission, He can do it with you. He will do it with you. And maybe today you need to hear that. You need to know that. And and, and you can speak with one of us around here. We can help you with that. It's a lot of what we do is help people with their restarts. But maybe you're someone who, like I said before, knows somebody that needs this kind of restart in their life. They, they think they are too far gone to be forgiven, to be trusted, to get another chance. And, and I wanna give you three quick ways you can jump into that mess with them like Jesus does with Peter here. Three ways we help people restart. Um, this is gonna take four minutes, all right? The first thing you can do is you can restore their qualification. Would you say that with me? Restore their qualification. This is what Jesus did. He invited people, uh, he invited Peter to something Peter did not feel qualified for anymore. That whole back and forth, do you love me? I love you, feed my sheep. It's Peter saying, I am not qualified to use the word agape in regards to you, Jesus. And Jesus eventually says, forget the words, just do it. Feed my sheep. You know what, Peter? You are qualified. You know why? Because I qualify you. 
I have the power to do that. I'm Jesus. You are qualified. Now go feed my sheep. And here, while you are not Jesus, do you know what the Bible says that you are? We are the hands and feet of Jesus who has risen and ascended to heaven. We are gonna be the ones who physically say to the Peters of this world, the Peters in our life, you are qualified. We speak to those who have failed on behalf of Jesus. And I would ask, who do you know that has failed that needs to know they are not disqualified? The second thing Jesus does that we can do, he does not let Peter's shame stop him. We can help somebody release their shame. Peter's shame over his failure was getting in the way of his being restored, of his restart. And and think about this. If you or I were Jesus in that conversation, which was awkward and messy itself, we would have probably walked away after the first, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. We would say, you know what? I tried to get them to agape once, but this person did not want to talk to me about their failures, about anything really, so I'm out of here. The greatest thing that keeps a person from getting up from their failures is the shame they feel over those failures. And Jesus does not let Peter's shame stop him. Three times, Jesus is gonna keep going. He does not give up. And I bet that you know somebody who needs a restart, who needs you to keep telling them, it's not over. I know I told you this last week. I know I told you this last month. I'm gonna tell it to you again today. There is grace for you, my friend. God gives restarts. They need to hear it again and again to release them from their shame. Okay, third thing. Jesus basically says here in this little moment, Peter, you cannot stay in the past. I am moving forward, so should you. And what we can do to help a person who needs a restart is we can redirect them toward the future. Jesus is saying, Peter, it's a new day. I'm not asking you about why you did what you did that night around a fire. I am painting a picture of what the future looks like starting now. You shepherding my sheep. You leading my church. I have moved on. Peter, are you ready to do that as well? He redirects him toward a better future. You know, as we continue in this season of Advent, I'm reminded... uh, Christmas was ultimately a restart for all of humanity. Everybody needs a restart from time to time. There is power in a restart. And you have the power to help somebody you care about that needs one right now. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray before we go today. God, I love, we love that you are a God of restarts. The Bible is full of stories where you give people who have failed restarts. And right now in here, God, we are a room full of people with failure in our lives. And some of us have gotten to move past them, and some of us, we're still hearing roosters crow. We're still hearing things that tell us that that we are a failure. They remind us of those things. We're still seeing things and running into things and driving down old roads that, that turn out to be roosters. And God, I would ask for this congregation today, the people listening right now, the people watching online, I would ask that they may know that you give restarts, that Jesus is all about the restart. 
God, I, I would ask as well that, that as we've been sitting here and you've been putting people on our minds who need a restart of their own, God, would you give us the wisdom to know how to come alongside them in the middle of the shame they may feel? Whatever they are trapped in, would you give us the knowledge and the direction to come alongside those people we love and help them know about a restart available through Jesus as well? And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for coming today. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, I would love to. Sophia and I will be out at the Connection Corner.